Well, welcome to the Hills and Happy New Year to everybody. So glad that you're with us. Hope you had a great Christmas holiday. I'm excited as we kick off the year to open up God's Word. So live at our campuses or online, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Acts 17. Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to be in just a little bit. If you are, uh, if you're brand new, maybe because it's the start of the year, you decided, hey, we're going to we're going to check out church, or you clicked on a stream today. Uh, I'm so glad that you're with us. Welcome to the Hills. My name is Taylor, I'm one of our teaching pastors, and uh, today is a big day for us as a church. Uh, not only uh, because it's the first of the year, but because this last fall we announced a five-year vision to ask for nations and generations. And, uh, and today, we're officially, like, well, really yesterday, we officially started that five-year vision. We announced it this last fall, and it begins today. And so this five-year vision will carry from now all the way till the end of 2026. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to our church, you can find out more at nationsandgenerations.org about what we believe God is leading us to these next five years as we ask for nations and generations. One of the ways that you can uh, be involved with this, especially for, uh, for those who are, who are uh, Hills members, um, we said from the start of this vision that the most important word for us as a church is the first word, because that's the verb that we're called to, which is to ask. Because this vision is not going to be accomplished by, uh, by our ability or our capability, our resources. It is going to happen because the God over all nations and generations moves in power. Hills members say amen. That's not going to be through us. And so we are posturing ourselves as those who ask. Jesus said to ask and it will be given. To seek and you'll find. To knock and the door will be opened. And so uh, we started the vision this last fall when we announced it with 40 days of prayer. But we're going to continue a rhythm of prayer. And one way that you can participate is that every Wednesday, starting this Wednesday at noon, for an hour, we're going to do exactly that. We are going to ask and seek and knock and pray to God, interceding for nations and generations. And so that's going to be streamed online. That'll be uh, available at all of our platforms where we normally stream. Um, maybe in the future we'll be able to offer this as an in-person uh, experience, but, but for right now it's just something that we're going to stream. So maybe that means... During part of your lunch, you're able to jump on the stream just for a couple of minutes and pray with us as we have worship and prayer for an hour. Maybe it means because of work or school or something else, you're, you're not able to see it, but it'll still be up online on YouTube later, and you can check that out later in the day. But just a midweek moment for us where in this new vision, we're not just going to add this to our prayer list, but we're going to make space and time to abide with God and to ask and seek and knock, believing he will move for the nations and generations. So having said that, uh, we are going to be in Acts 17. I felt drawn to this passage because I, I think it, it, it has something for us in this new year and in this new venture for us as a church. So I would like to ask everybody who's live at one of our campuses and all those who are joining online that are able to, would you stand for the reading of God's word as we begin this year in honor of the word we profess, preach, and sit under the authority of Scripture? I'm going to begin in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? 
Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. This is God's word. Be seated. When I was a boy, my family visited the World of Coke Museum in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, as a kid, I was not really excited about the museum part. Uh, of, of the tour, but I was promised by my parents that the, the end of the tour would make the whole thing worthwhile. And that was when we walked into what's called the Taste It exhibit. I, I remember as a boy just walking in and all of a sudden I was in a room that had more soda dispensers than I'd ever seen in one place in my entire life. Everywhere I looked, there were all these different soda dispensers, more than I'd ever seen in any restaurant, too many to count. Uh, as I stood there, and, and I found out later there were over 100 different flavors served and produced by Coke that are, that are uh, shipped all around the world, flavors from different countries and different things that I didn't expect and had different weird ingredients, but they were all there, and I stood and I looked at this magical place, and all of a sudden there was this incredible moment when they handed me a little plastic cup. And then I entered high fructose heaven for the next like half hour. I just, I tried everything I could. I made myself sick. But that moment of being handed that cup and looking around, have you ever, have you ever had one of those moments? That was those moments when you're surrounded by possibility and opportunity and then you realize it's all available to you and you get to pick. If the marketers are doing their job right, they're trying right now through ads and commercials to make you feel that way about, about, about the beginning of the year. To look around and see, man, it's a, it's a brand new year. It's a, a fresh start. It's a clean slate. And so what kind of person do you want to try to become this year? What goals are you going to set? What, what are you going to do? Because everything is open to you in the new year, so they tell us. Or maybe it's, maybe it's when you move out of the house and you get into that college dorm or that apartment for the very first time and you realize, okay, this is my place and I get to decide what my schedule looks like. I get to decide what's for dinner, whatever it is. Well, suffice it to say, in the ancient city of Athens, they put on a spiritual and philosophical taste-it exhibit. You walked into that city, it looked like every way of life, every school of thought was on offer. The text we read tells us that it was a city that was enamored with thought leaders, And all they did, they spent all this time talking about the latest ideas, the greatest theories, whatever it was. Basically, they hosted the first century equivalent of a TED Talk like every day. Just all the latest experts, they wanted to know about it. They wanted to discuss it. It was also a city, the text tells us, that's that's full of religious fervor. There were temples and statues and idols and landmarks all over the region for different 
gods. Everywhere you looked, images of these Greek gods on, on street corners, in the marketplace, on surrounding hilltops. Basically, if you came to the city of Athens with a thirst for knowledge or truth, they handed you a plastic cup. And so Paul, this first, uh, first century missionary, he's one of the earliest missionaries traveling around trying to talk to people about Jesus, finds himself in this city. And he's waiting for some friends to join him and they're going to continue their missionary trip. But in the days that he spends there, Paul looks around at the people. He looks at their statues and shrines. He looks at their way of life. And as we embark on this new vision to ask for nations and generations, I think the city of Athens paints a helpful picture for the kind of world God is really calling us to reach. Because in this city full of options, we see a simple picture of humanity. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Everyone is looking for something. It's on full display in the city of Athens in the first century, and yet it's just as true in our 21st century world. In Athens, the cultural center of the city was the marketplace. It wasn't just where goods were bought and sold. That's why Paul goes into the marketplace, because it was really a cultural center for arts, for entertainment, for spiritual pursuits. Today, man, we're just as devoted to the marketplace. Ours just happens to be a digital one. The internet has become the cultural center of so much of our lives and basically hands all of us a bottomless plastic cup. In the words of one comic, the internet basically asks us, can I interest you in everything all of the time? And that, that longing, that inner search, that looking for something is not going to go away just because the calendar year is turned over. Human nature is going to be the same and 2022, we're all looking for something because we all sense that something else is possible, that something is missing, that something could be better. And so we go looking for it. And when Paul looked around the city of Athens, he saw the result of people's search. It was a city full of idols. Now, it's easy for us to distance ourselves from the idea of idolatry. But, but idols are more than shrines or statues. I heard idols defined one, 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 uh, this way. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that you look to give you what only God can really give. See, everybody's looking for something. But as we go looking, if you'll indulge a 1980s U2 reference, we still haven't found what we're looking for. And as a result, here's one way to think about idols. Idols are born when we try to make what we fail to find. We go looking, hoping, expecting, maybe, maybe we'll find something that will fulfill us, that will, that will satisfy, that will validate but when we can't exactly find what we think we're looking for, we, we try to make it. And so culture makes different idols and offers them to us. Athens was a city that wasn't just full of idols. That language in the Greek is overcrowded, like inundated. One ancient Roman historian joked that if you went to Athens, you were more likely to find a god than a man just because of how many different statues and idols and temples they had. 
According to, to one scholar, the, 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 the citizens of Athens were outnumbered by idols in Athens, three to one. For every one person, there were three different gods who were claiming they could give you fulfillment or provide for you or ask for your sacrifice or devotion. And this is why Paul is greatly distressed. And I think this is why Acts 17 is a little bit of a mirror up to our lives. We live in an increasingly complicated world, overcrowded with options. And what it produces is spiritual anxiety and insecurity. Paul's distressed because every single idol demonstrated that these people had a a true longing, a hunger for God, but it also testified to the fact that they were living a spiritually empty existence. And in our world today, man, if you walked around Athens and back then all these different gods were vying for your attention, promising some level of fulfillment or provision, Well, today there are a million shoulds that will compete for your time and attention. They won't necessarily look like statues or shrines, but they will ask for your heart. The shoulds of maybe it's your education, your career, the idealized future of your family, your stock portfolio, your connection or activity on social media, your love life, sometimes even in our version of church, we find a bunch of shoulds that are heaped on us. Our, uh, our new next-gen minister, Jill Shelby, told me a story about talking with a, a family friend who's a 19-year-old girl. Now, this 19-year-old did not grow up in our church, but Jill was just talking to her about, this, uh, uh, about her new role, being over both uh, kids and students with next-gen. And, uh, and she asked this young lady who grew up as a Christian... What do you, now that you've graduated, what what do you wish the church had maybe done for you differently? And this 19-year-old said, I feel like the faith I was handed was so complicated. I often left church with as much anxiety as when I left school. I'm not saying faith has to be easy. In fact, it should probably be harder than we make it. But I wish faith could be simpler. And this story's been on my mind ever since Jill told me it because I just imagine that for those of us who walk through this complicated world with all kinds of different things vying for our interest or our attention or where we can put our identity and then to have us walk into church with that same mindset and instead of leaving with a kind of peace or assurance that comes from God, we leave with the same kind of anxiety as everywhere else in the world because what we walk away with is a bunch of spiritual plates we have to keep spinning and a bunch of ways that we don't measure up. Is it possible we've been shaped and formed by this complicated, can you keep up with everything kind of world that it's beginning to affect the ways that we try to follow Jesus? And it's why... It's why the Athenians were trying so hard to keep up with everything that they even made an inscription to an unknown God, just in case, just to try and keep all their bases covered. But as I think about that 19-year-old leaving church full of anxiety and the complicated way that sometimes faith just tried to live out, I was encouraged again by what Paul had to say in Acts 17. 
As he talks to a bunch of Athenians in their complicated world, listen to what he says as he tries to share with them about God. In a sermon, by the way, that has no scripture and that is talking to no Christians. Here's what he says in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And I, I love what Paul does here. Just a side note, for anybody who, as you listen to this message, maybe you find yourself feeling like Paul, looking at the world around you. Maybe, and just for a moment, I want to talk to those in an older generation. Maybe it's because as you've seen the different shifts in society and what's become normal and what's, what's you know, streamed and popularized online or in shows, maybe you've felt an increasing distress for the world that the next generation is inheriting. But I want to press in for a moment and look at what Paul does. Paul felt that same concern as he looked at the city of Athens, but his greatest concern became his strongest connection with these people. And for some of us, we become distressed and so we, we create distance from those people, from people who do things we don't understand, who have practices or beliefs or ways of life we don't agree with, and we see the, the emptiness and the way they've turned away from God. But for Paul, the, re, the, the result of that distress was not distance, but out of that concern, he had compassion. Man, we, we are invited by God to be a church that when we look at the world around us, there are going to be ways we are set apart and different because we follow the way of Jesus, but we can't let that make us go, okay, fine, I'm gonna take my spiritual ball and go home and I'm not gonna be involved with this society. We're called to press in, to be in and among the world even though we are not of the world. That's what Paul's doing here. And I love what he does in the spirit of simplicity. Here's the cliff notes on his little speech. You're here on purpose, God's here too. Like this is part of the message we want the nations and generations to hear is that there is a God who made the world, which by the way, if you're new and you're, you're kind of checking out church, I'm so glad that you're with us or listening online, but we continue to believe and profess that. The universe that we're a part of is not a cosmic accident, but it is the result of divine design and intention. God made this world, called it good, filled it with beauty and goodness. Now, the ways we've turned away from God have brought brokenness and sin into this world, but, but the world God made, he made it on purpose. He made you on purpose because he's the God who not only made the world, who not only fills our bodies with life and breath, but who gives our lives meanings and who set the times and places we would live. That's actually been, I'll just be honest, that's been the most comforting part of this passage for me as we start this year. I've taken special comfort in the fact that God appointed the times and the places, the nations and generations of where we would live and serve. 
Because we're entering the year 2022. I thought about it this week. If you asked the five-year-old version of me what 2022 was going to look like, I'd have thought about like futuristic cartoons. Like I used to watch the old Nick at Night cartoon, The Jetsons, and I would have thought like, yeah, it's going to be like that. We're all going to have jetpacks and flying cars, and there's going to be robots who, you know, vacuum our living room. And like today, I guess if you count the Roomba, we got one out of three. (laughs) But otherwise, it's not a world that five-year-old Taylor would have envisioned, and I never would have envisioned what we've lived through for the last 18-plus months. It's not a story I would have chosen for myself. But I've been looking back through Scripture, and I've realized we're in good company. Throughout the Bible, people lived during times and in places that they would never have chosen. Joseph lived through a devastating famine. Moses was born into generational slavery. Deborah and Gideon led during times of national dysfunction. Esther and Daniel were born in exile. David lived and fought through a lifetime of warfare. Jesus' disciples suffered under Roman occupation. And the earliest Christians faced wave after wave of persecution. So many people in the Bible were living and following God in times they never would have chosen. But God was still with them. God still worked in them and through them. And you and I are living in the midst of times we wouldn't have chosen. I mean, here we are, we're coming off a month that's got, by if the stats can be believed, the worst spike so far of the pandemic. And I wish I could just do like a super encouraging, like, it's a new year, it's gonna be great. I tried that, because I got to preach the first message in 2020, and then three months later, there we were. So I'm not gonna do that this time. I don't know what this year is going to look like, and neither do you, but I do know that in the midst of these times, we can find renewed comfort and conviction that the God who made the world appointed the times and places that you and I would live, which means no matter what we're facing, we are not living plan B. It means, it means that for anybody who is facing that spiritual anxiety or insecurity or a sense of disconnection from God through all this, It means that for you, he knew the times and places in which you would live, and you matter to him. He gives you life and breath and meaning. It means that for the parent who's operating from a place of insecurity or guilt, because you just feel like you're failing as a parent on a daily basis, listen close. God appointed the times and places in which you would live. You are the person to be the mom or dad for your children. And with God, you have everything you need to love and lead and serve in your home. It means for the student who's had life turned upside down and future put into question, maybe scholarships that have been second-guessed and has experienced distance from others, social anxiety, depression, other mental health, mental health issues through all of this, God appointed the times and places in which you would live. You, students, listen close. You are the generation God wants to raise up. Not the, not the generation of tomorrow, the generation for right now, in this time, to reach people for Christ and to show another way to live where we find our true purpose in God. You, students, have not been sidelined, but I believe you're in a season of preparation where God is going to do a powerful work through you in the years ahead. It means for us, as a church, God knew the times and places we would live. And on our own, we cannot accomplish this vision. 
It's too difficult and there are too many obstacles and variables we have zero control over. But with God, who is sovereign over every people group and every national border, we will ask for nations and generations believing he's faithful to accomplish it. So why did God do all this? Why why did he set the times and places? Well, it's because what Paul said is that he did this so that you might seek him. He did it so that people would do exactly what those Athenians were trying to do, even though they didn't realize it. See, God made you to look for him. These religious Athenians were seeking. We're all looking for somebody, but, but, but something, but they didn't know. And so they're reaching out in the dark to an unknown God. And the word Paul shares is that this God is not far. He's within reach. He's close. What that means for you and I is that as we look out at the world around us that God has called us to be lights in, it means even in a world full of idols, God is close. Even when he is unknown and unnamed by the people around you, God is close. Even when he's treated as one option among many, God is close. God does not withdraw or pull away from us, but in his love, in his mercy, as the sustainer and provider, God's still close. And here's Paul's concluding word. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorant, ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul basically concludes saying, we're all looking for something. And the life worth finding starts at the empty tomb of Jesus. And this, this last year, most people, it was hard. You can say that globally. I can say that personally. And here's what I've noticed in my own faith. The most powerful times of worship by myself with the Lord, the times when I feel renewed in my faith, are when I come back to the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Like, I, I've even got a little playlist that's got some songs that are just resurrection songs that beat in my heart. And when I play those, when I sing those, I just come back to this ultimate reality because it recenters me. We believe that the God who appointed the times and places joined a specific time and place in Israel lived showing what it means to live in peace and fulfillment and alignment with God, died on a cross to pay for our sins and to defeat all of the evil and brokenness that continue to decay our world. And then that God rose from the grave. And when I come back to that story, it gets me out of my spiritual insecurity or despair or anxiety because it reminds me of ultimate reality. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then that's proof that there is a supernatural creator God. 
If Jesus rose from the dead, it means he is the great God above all other pretender gods. If Jesus rose from the dead, his salvation is more than enough for me. If Jesus rose from the dead, then no matter what I face this year, no matter what happens in this next 12 months, nothing I face will be stronger. We will be able to undermine the truth that there is an empty tomb that Jesus walked out of by the power of the Holy Spirit. And my resurrected Lord invites me into his kingdom that won't be shaken, not by anything that happens this year. Man, if that's true, and I get, if you're, if you're exploring Christianity, that's a big if. But man, that's where, that's where we pin our hopes at the empty tomb of Jesus where we're invited to life with God, the only life we believe is worth finding. And so for some of you, man, this is the year that you're gonna have to come to grips with what do you believe about Jesus? Is he God's proof? Is his resurrection what has changed history? And will he be the Lord of your life? The invitation from Paul is, if you believe that's true, you got to repent. That means you got to let go of all the other stuff you tried to fill your cup with and put your faith in Christ. And it also means for everybody who is already a follower of Jesus, we've got to come back to believing with renewed faith, with renewed strength, with renewed comfort. This is the time and place God has appointed for us to have life with him and to share his message with the world. So Hills Church, I wanna, I wanna bless you as we close with this blessing. Hills Church, I bless you in the name of Jesus. God appointed the times and places that you would live. God appointed the times and places we would ask for nations and generations. In Christ, you are fully equipped for whatever this year faces. In Christ, we as a church are fully equipped for this five-year vision. So may you be blessed this year in how you serve others, in how you advocate for the stranger, in how you serve children, how you pray for deliverance from addiction. May you grow closer to and abide in Jesus this year and the next five years of this vision. May each May each part of this vision be a small picture of the good news of Jesus Christ in our lives and among us. And may God our Father protect our hearts from any pride we might have through successes or from any blame or shame we might experience in failure. May you be blessed. May we be blessed through unity brought by the Holy Spirit as we ask for nations and generations. God, I thank you so much for, for your faithfulness. Lord, you, you have drawn close even in the midst of times when we had our back turned to you. You are not far even when we treat you as an option among many. And you still provide our life, our movement, our being. God, I pray for the person who has yet to put their faith in Jesus. Would you draw them close this year? Would they sense that them starting out the first Sunday of the year with this message is not an accident? And God, also, would you, would you build, increase the faith 
of each one of us who, who already claim you. Lord, draw us closer. Shape us more into the image of Christ. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.